Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Spill the Baby Tea, a podcast where we candidly talk about all things motherhood and parenthood. My name is Helen Wu Wang. I am a mom to a 17-month-old baby boy, and I'm here to create a space where we can all share, connect, and feel a little less alone. On today's episode, I have the incredible and talented B. Kim. She is a life and executive coach primarily serving working parents, high potential leaders, and executives, and she has worked directly with larger companies like Google, Adobe, and Facebook, all the tech giants. She is also a group coach for the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Welcome to the podcast, B. Thank you so much for having me. I love that I'm here with you and I'm excited. So excited to have you on. To all the parents out there, we are in this together, so let's get this episode started. As with every episode of Spill the Baby Tea, we are going to start with our giggle and drool of the week. And since you are my guest, B, can you start with your drool of the week? Yeah, I that one's an easy one. So as we're all familiar, kids are a cesspool of germs. And so oh, no. <laughs> um, I have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. And last week, um, especially over the weekend for Mother's Day, we were just all sick, sick like dogs. So um, it's just been the past two or three days that things have been feeling better. But yeah, that's that's been kind of the week is is the sickness. Well, you sound amazing. I hope you've been Thank feeling you. better. Thank you. Oh, yes. That is one thing I'm actually not looking forward to when we send our son to school because <laughs> I hear that they just bring home all the germs. All the germs and then it just bounces back and forth, back and forth, back and forth amongst all of you. So um, good, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> how are they um, How are they sleeping now that they're eight and four? Oh my goodness, totally fine. Yeah. I remember I, I had a parent friend who was like, he had uh, 11-year-old twins and he's like, you'll be fine um just wait until they're like 10 and then you'll be fine I'm like oh my gosh I have to wait 10 years but my four-year-old sleeps fine so there is light at the end of the tunnel that's good to hear (laughs) that's funny that you yeah I remember when um people would tell me oh yeah they're gonna be fine at like six months and I remember when I was in month one (laughs) that seems like an eternity like you don't tell a new parent that that doesn't that's not a good like relief to give anyone yeah agreed agreed Well, I'm going to share my drool also. And my drool of the week is that my baby boy, he is 17 months, he is definitely transitioning to one nap 
from two, which I know you've already you've already Aww. been through, but I think we're we're in it as I speak. He is literally in the middle of transitioning and he's only sleeping nap time like maybe one hour a day, and that's so little. <gasps> that cuts down on your time. It does, it does. <laughs> and here I'm feeling like, okay, we got this. I think this is something I'm realizing about parenthood. It's like you feel like you got it, and right when you feel like you got it, things switch up on you. They pull the rug right out of from underneath you. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So new changes, new changes ahead. What about your giggle of the week? Well, okay. So I was thinking about my giggle and I realized like there's a lot of giggles. So I felt just even recognizing that there's a lot of giggles to choose from like made me feel really lucky. Um, But I'm going to share two. I'm going to cheat and share two. So go for it. And it's 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 literally today. Um, this morning, I was volunteering at my son's school. I go in occasionally to volunteer for a science class, and they're doing a Rube Goldberg machine for their exhibition tonight. And it worked. Like, their machine worked. Their group of four eight-year-olds, like the second graders, worked. And they were cheering and saying, woohoo, and just Aww. shouting. And they're so happy. And I thought it just was like pure joy for me to see them so happy and feeling like accomplished. Um, Wait, sorry, what what machine was this? A Rube Goldberg machine. It's like one of those machines where you put like a marble, for example, that kicks it off and then it goes for a long time. And then by the end, it's supposed to do something. So for them, they were supposed to water a plant. So they're supposed to, yeah, their goal is to water a plant after whatever kicks it off. That sounds really Um, advanced for um, eight-year-olds. I will wow. say I was impressed. Wow. I was impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah. I didn't even see it, and I'm impressed. I don't even know if I can do that. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that either. I was just there helping, like, okay, I'll just stand back and let you do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, so I can't just favor my son, so I have a four-year-old. Her name is Stella, and she's got an art show this afternoon, so right after we finish recording, I'll be heading over there and seeing all the cute little watercolors and you know paper mache and whatever else she'll be doing so um, i'm excited that's so that's so that's something that i'm also looking forward to is just being able to support them as they're growing and learning things and yeah yeah seeing them so happy and feeling accomplished i think that's going to (laughs) be such an amazing feeling and something that you're already feeling as a mom some mamas too yeah um i will share my giggle as well before we jump into the interview portion but my (laughs) giggle of the week um i think it's just that right now my boy is very much a mama's boy and i feel Mm -hmm. like that does put a lot of weight and sort of a bit of a burden on me to always just be present and around and when i'm around him he needs me he's holding onto my leg he wants me to carry all 25 pounds of him and i'm surprised that i can carry 25 (laughs) pounds for as long as i can like that is that is quite a feat but being able to do that i think is my is my giggle and the fact that he's just so need so much needing me like during this nap transition period i think he's also going through a bit of a sleep regression so at nighttime he's been you know calling out for me and um being Mm. able to cuddle with him you know is something that I still feel like at this point in our in his life, in my life, it's still when he needs me so, so much. And I know that that's not going to be forever. So just trying to hold on to these to these moments that used to look like challenges, you know, when he was a newborn. I'm like, I'll oh, just go to sleep. But now I'm like, yeah. come cuddle with me. 
I, you know, I, like, from The Office, the show The Office, I always like to say, they say, at some Andy Bernard, I think he says, like, these are the good old days, or how can we never know when it's the, and mm-hmm. then that really struck me, and even now, like, my husband and I always look at each other, and we're like, we're in the good old days. Yeah. Like, we know we're in the good old days. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I feel like I'm living in what's going to be a memory, and it, it's, it's, like, such a weird feeling. It actually makes me really yeah. sad sometimes that I'm, like, so happy in the moment. It's such a, oh, man. Parenting is, it's it does something downs, to right? you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But we're in the good old days. Like, I'm yeah. really holding on to that. Yeah. Well, something that I've talked about often on this podcast is just how much we as new moms go through when we first make that transition into parenthood. You know, we feel so much mom guilt, so much uncertainty with both where our careers are heading, and also in coming to terms with our own identities. And I've talked about all of this from my my own first-time mom perspective, but I really wanted to bring someone onto this podcast that could share their expertise and tips with all of us, someone who's studied <laughs> all of this deeply and can give us all the tactical advice for you know, how to overcome some of the internal struggles that we go through as moms, which is why we have B on today. So Woo, thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> She's she's the she's the brains behind all this, okay? So, <laughs> so B, I know you work with a lot of moms on finding direction, which I want to yeah. say all new moms go through at this very pivotal transitionary period in their lives. If someone were to approach you as a life and executive coach and say, "I need help finding direction in my life. I don't know who I am anymore." I don't want to be just a mom. I'm stuck. I'm so stuck. Mm. You know, who am I anymore? What should I do with my life? What do you say to them? I love that question because it is literally like the question that most people come to, right? For coaching with me is like, I knew who I was before baby. Uh, I was all about work or about ambition or about being the rock star, whatever that you identified as. And then after baby, it's like, yeah, who am I? Like, yeah. I don't I don't know. And so I first want to just acknowledge and validate that you're not alone. You're absolutely not alone. Like that question is so common. And I wouldn't have a job if, if no one had that question, right? Um, so I have a short and long answer. And the short answer is oftentimes, I just ask like, well, what directions are you thinking about? Because people usually have an inkling. They mm-hmm. usually have an idea, right? They'll either say, well, I feel pressure to like still work the same rigorous hours that I did, but I don't want to, or mm-hmm. I don't feel like it anymore. I, I desire more flexibility and freedom. So already like trust that you already probably have an idea. So I always just like to start there. That's my short answer is like, well, what directions are you thinking about? Because I have a good feeling that you probably have some sort of idea. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we would go deeper. The second, the longer answer is one of the things that is kind of a pillar of my coaching is I want to know what your values are. Because if we know what your values are and how you prioritize your life, then if you're aligned to your values, then everything is good. And when you're not, it's when you get that icky feeling inside of you and the whole question of like existential crisis of who am I? So it's really mining for what do you value? What's most important for your life? And not only what it, what do you value, but then in hierarchical prioritized order, mm. what is the order of that? Because your or, your value of work accomplishments, your, your value of family, your value of peace or calm, 
they're going to butt up against each other all the time. So right now at this juncture of your, of your life, what is that actual order? And um, I'll just share right now, since since this is perfect for parents, is that one of the exercises that I always encourage parents to do is to write letters, write letters to your baby. Um, mm-hmm. Starting in day zero, we did that with both of our kids. We set up a Gmail account for them. We only have access to that. They won't have access until they're 13. And then we write them letters. And guess what? In your letters, I promise you, your values are already coming through. Mm. Right? Are you talking to your kid about like, it's important that you are kind. I really want to make sure that you're an adult who cares about um, leaving a positive impact in the world. Whatever it is, those are values for you. Mm. Like what you want for your kids are actually what you want for yourself. Right. So that's a beautiful start for you to understand what do you value and in what order so that that helps me make decisions in my life. Yeah, I love that. I actually say that a lot on our podcast as well, because when I went to um, therapy, that was one of the the best exercises that I took away from therapy where we printed out our it was like 100 or 150 values, cut it all up and then you organize it. You organize it based on what is the least lowest priority and what is the highest. And even within the highest, you also have to sort of align it to what is the highest. And, you know, and it's going to it's an exercise that I think people should you know, try and try and find time to do at least, you know, once a year, once every two years, because your values are always going to be changing. But I think for me, like when I did that exercise, I realized that what I thought for me, financial stability was at the top. It was not even in like the furthest right category or the most highest priority category. It was like second to that. And even in the highest priority, there was like 10. And so it was like number 11. I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I should be doing something different with my life. But sometimes you do need to see it in a more tangible way so that Mm -hmm. you can say, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, all these thoughts in my head of what I think I I care about. You seeing it down on paper or on the ground, it's like, oh, this is actually what I value the most. Can I just like validate for you too that 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 is something I see all the time? It's like, of course, we care about financial stability as when you're thinking about the next job, when you're thinking, right? And then oftentimes that is a big surprise is like, wait, it's on my list. It's important, but it's a lot lower than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. My family and I, we actually do family values every January 1. Oh, and we actually print that. it out, have it. I'll have to send you a picture afterwards. And then uh, we actually have it in a nice frame and we put it right in our dining area every single year. And starting at five, my son started adding. So he contributed. Oh, wow. So this year... He contributed two out of the three family values, and his is be an upstander, advocate for yourself, and advocate for others. And then two is turn boring into fun. And so that really, for us, it, it, it informs how are we as a family, like we're, we're going to index more on experience over gifts or things, because these are things where we're using that time to turn boring into fun. All of those things, like, are we living our family values? And we actually have them written and staring at us. I love that. I am so going to adopt that for our family as well. That's, I love that. I love that so much. And it's like a daily reminder also of what, you know, you value instead of just keeping it, because I just keep mine in like stacked on top of each other in a corner somewhere. I'm like, okay, those are my values. They're, they're somewhere over there, but it's good to be reminded of, um, of what you care about, you know, daily. I also love the email thing. I I did send him an email for my son because I was like, oh, maybe one day, you know, if he wants his name, he needs to have his email. But I love the idea of sending him emails and letters so that he can open it up later. 
I wonder if they'll appreciate it at 13, though. I, <laughs> honest, but honestly, it could just be a once a year thing, right? It doesn't have, and it doesn't have to be this big, long thing either. I We always do birthday email, but mm. it, like, the other day he did a f- hilarious fart joke. He made a funny fart joke, and I sent him, like, Hey, Owen, you're eight years old right now, and you just said the most hilarious f- fart joke. Here's what it was, and then, and that's it, right? Like yeah. it, it didn't have to be anything big, but I think it's just a great way for me to to kind of archive because I don't do scrapbooks or anything like that, and um, it's a great way to share with him. Who has time for scrapbooks as a mom of two? Has, no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, there are some, but okay, I don't. I sure as hell don't. <laughs> yeah, and I have one. I definitely don't have time for scrapbooks either. Yeah, yeah. Well, having come from the corporate world myself, like you were in as well, right? I did notice that a lot of my colleagues who were women had to take a step back in their careers once they had babies. And at the time, I didn't have too many conversations with these women and my my colleagues because I wasn't a mom myself and I didn't want to feel like I was prodding them or potentially bringing up a sensitive topic that, you know, Mm. they maybe didn't want to talk about because it's personal. It's, It's life and life choices, right? But now that I am a mom, I am curious and would ask them if women are wanting to have a family and wanting to be a partner at their firm or wanting to reach the highest level that they can, how do you do it? I think that's like a question that a lot of working or to be working moms asks, like, how do you do it? And also what needs to give? Yeah, yeah. So this is where I'm going to give that like consulting type of answer, which is it depends. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I wish there was like, here's the formula, follow steps one, two, and three, and then you're golden. And the reality is, is that every person is different and every value and priority is different. So Mm -hmm. I fall back on your values yet again. I really do. And to be able to distill Uh, what is it the thing that I've taken on that I think I'm supposed to want right now in my stage of my career versus what do I actually want myself? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I like take away all of that outside noise and really listen to myself and say, what is most important for me? If you can have like a come to Jesus moment of really understanding, like, what do I value? Like completely taken away from you know, what society wants me to value, Mm -hmm. what my partner is saying I need to value, what my family or upbringing has said I want to value. If I really know what I want to value, then from there, what are the trade-offs and what does it actually really look like? Mm -hmm. Because the reality again is, hey, if you, if you and I had the same values, for example, but financial stability and success was my number one and is your number 11, heck, the way that I operate my life will be very different from the way that you operate your life. Right. Same set of values, but we prioritized it very very differently, right? Mm-hmm. If you're like, I, st- I do want to be a partner, that's absolutely number important for me. And the promotion matrices of my organization has shown that I need to you know, log this many number of hours or I need to like complete this many high visibility projects. That will take time away from the other things that you value. And are you willing to trade that off? Mm-hmm. So that so I, I'm sharing that because we live in an imperfect system. <laughs> I mean, we could call, go from a totally different lens to say, like, this system is fucked and here's why and these are the things that need to be changed. But from an individual standpoint, like, we're, we're in an imperfect system. And so it is the trade-offs. Mm-hmm. It's really fully understood. But you have to know what you're solving for first. Right. And if you realize me wanting to solve for flexibility, and that means flexibility in location, flexi- for remote work, flexibility, 
in the time that I spend, which is important for me. That's why I get to volunteer at my son's school, right? Like I could be making more money during that time, but right now I'm not solving for forever, but right now that's most important for me. So mm-hmm. I realize there are some trade-offs. Um, that's probably the heart of my answer. I could share some tactical things like have conversations and be transparent with like your management and be clear on those, hitting those different um, success metrics for promotion. But at the heart of it, it really is, is like, what are you solving for, for you? What do you value right now at this juncture of your life? What if my values were hypothetically, number one is financial stability, but number two and three are family and work-life balance. (laughs) And then there's like a billion other values, but these are my top three. How would you help someone navigate that? So I would want to get clear on what does financial stability actually mean and look like for you. And so one of the very first things that I do with my clients, because finances is a scary thing. For Mm -hmm. most people, it's a scary thing. So do you know what your financial runway is? Can you afford to actually make less than what you do now that would then give you more work-life balance, for example? A lot of people, a lot of people, not everyone, right off the bat don't know the answer, Mm. right? So uh, I'm just going to give complete hypothetical numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I make $100,000 or whatever, right? And um, oh my gosh, be the thought of going back or going lower and earning less. Like I'm going to set myself back and like there's no way I can do that. I'm not going to do that. And the reality is, is that number two and three, when you really think about it, you realize no family is number one, actually. Like, Mm. right, let's say that. And I am willing to trade to make 80K versus 100 because I've had that conversation with my partner. We're realizing together for a dual income or if you don't have a partner, like really looking at your finances to say, yeah, what does that look like? And for some people, it's like, B, holy smokes, I need to make $50,000 more. (laughs) We're like going the whole, I had no idea, right? Or whatever. That's a very different conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, that's often what I see. And again, that would be like, let's dig deeper into what does family look like? What does financial stability look like? And flesh out those values for you so that we can get deeper into the weeds. Yeah. And I think something that um, I've heard from other moms too is just that, you know, the the comment about, oh, can you have it all, right? And a lot of people will say, um, some people will say yes. I think realistically, it's more of a you can, but it does it doesn't have it, it won't happen at the same time for everything that you want to happen, right? There are different seasons and phases of your life and you can achieve all that you want to achieve, but perhaps you try to space it out or, you know, delay certain things you, that you still care about, but focusing on the thing that you value the most in the moment and then knowing that there's going to be a transitionary phase to focus on your next set of values, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings, kind of similar to what you said, is you can't have a baby with nine women in one month, right? There's like this like real gift in time and what time can kind of bubble up to the surface for you because you're going to change. You're not the same person you were 17 months ago. Heck, I would argue you you weren't the same person you were five months ago, Mm -hmm. right? Like things are shifting and changing and this is why we constantly need to revisit our priorities as well and see what makes sense now. Yeah. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. 
You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Well, one thing I noticed earlier in my career was that because there was no equality in maternity and paternity leave, that meant that women were expected to stay home more often than men to raise a child. And I mm. think when I first, like this wasn't even that long ago that that was a case, right? Where there was an imbalance between uh, maternity and paternity leave. Yeah. But yeah. I felt like that was an example of where it, it, it was the system sort of holding us as women back by saying that, yes, as a mom, you need more time to recover and you're likely going to be more invested in your baby, especially in those early days. But it's also sort of putting the burden and the expectation of child rearing onto the mother, right? Nowadays, I feel like a lot of companies are adopting this equal time allotted for both maternity and paternity leave. Yeah. Do you think that that actually has helped to close the disparity gap that we've seen between women and men sort of reaching a certain level of success in their careers? Um, that's a great question. I, I think it does help. Is it the end-all, be-all answer? No. Mm. I mean, Helen, don't get me, don't get me even started <laughs> on the school system. Mm. Think about elementary Kids get out at 2 o'clock. Kindergartners get out at 12 p.m. Who the heck is supposed to actually pick them up from school? Who's supposed to walk? You know what? I've thought about this, and I don't know. (laughs) Right? The system is very archaic. It's still very much built upon someone's the breadwinner, and someone's going to be the homemaker. Mm -hmm. And it will not work if that isn't the case. And yet we live in a world where... It's hard to not have dual income, just like financially, it's hard to survive without two incomes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's a whole other uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, it, a lot of these things uh, I haven't even like put thought into. I've just sort of had it in my the back of my head, like, oh, I think this is that sounds hard, and then that, and then it stops there. But I haven't tactically thought about how. Yeah, how do you approach that? Or like, you need help, right? Yeah. Like, you need you need help um, and help comes at a, a cost, like a literal cost or sacrifice, right? You sacrifice and you you have that flexibility in work. Uh, so to answer your question though, I do think that it does help. Um, but the other thing in support of that and in, in specifically like equal parental leave time is that you're in a culture that actually supports and encourages both men and women to take the full leave time. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of organizations where it's like, yep, women, you get four months, 16 weeks, whatever. You get it. And we expect you to take that full time. Or they might even, you know, call it a vacation or depending on the team. Like, of course, not a vacation. Deal with that that (laughs) bullshit. But (laughs) but there are definitely organizations where, oh, yeah, dads, you get the four months off, too. What? 
Mm. You're going to take it off, right? Mm. Like no one takes that off. And Mm. so are you in a culture that actually supports the policies and procedures in place that allows for you to do that? And from my personal experience, my husband, when we had our first kid, Owen, um, he was working at Facebook at the time, Meta, and he took the full four months off and he got some flack for it too. Mm. But he took the full four months off. He was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. It's important for me. And that's time we would never have gotten back. So I'm so glad. And I know that a lot of companies also allow for like, you don't have to take it all consecutively, right? Mm-hmm. You, you could take a month here and then whatever. Um, oftentimes what I see when dads do that is they take a month off and then they never take the rest off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting how like the, the companies are providing that and that is your ability as an employee and taking advantage of the benefits to actually take that time off. But then the culture hasn't caught up yet to what the companies are doing. Oof. Take your paternity leave, men. (laughs) That's right. That's right. No guilt about it. Just do it because you're actually being, I think you're actually being an ally to women when you do take it. Like if if that helps you and gives you permission for yourself internally to take it off, like do it. Do it. Like whatever works. Like you're setting that example for the rest of your team too by doing it. That's right. Yeah. For sure. That's right. Are there any other ways you've seen seen companies implement the right strategies or policies to really try and, and bring more women that choose to have kids into leadership positions? Any companies that sort of do that well? Yeah, there are companies. So at a higher level, I'll just share that there's there's companies that have flexibility. Like that is the number one thing. There's there was like a survey that came out in the middle of the pandemic in 2021 that was like, what do you as a worker need? Uh, you as an American worker need and Mm. top, top, like by far, number one was flexibility. Mm. Give me flexibility. And if I can do that, then yeah, then I will put in the hours. I will do what's necessary, but flexibility in location. So remote work, but also flexibility in time. Like I got to get out at two 30, pick up my kids, you know, take them to soccer practice, be there, do the dinner, but I will come back at 7 p.m. when they're in bed or whatever, right? Right. That flexibility is really supportive. And again, if you're in a culture that actually then follows through in doing that, that is really supportive for leadership positions. Mentorship programs, right? Like, do you have, you know, leadership, women, women leadership programs kind of built in? All of those things um, are supportive. But again, it has to come from the top. You actually have to have executives that talk the talk and walk the walk. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's very much around culture uh, supporting those policies that are in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see how the flexibility, I agree, even with um, now with Agent Boss Girl, I think that's the number one thing that I've been able to get here, this work-life balance where I, yeah, I'm off after my son wakes up from his second nap, you know, I'm off the clock and I won't be back until 9 p.m. after I eat dinner and then I'll be on till 2 a.m. But that's just, that's how it's got to work for, I think, a lot of working parents who want to still be present with their kids at least some part of the day, you know? That's right. And that's going to look different for everyone. Some people might only need 10 minutes. (laughs) Some people might need five hours. So yeah, yeah, I guess you got to figure out what works for you and and ask for for those boundaries with your team. Um, And hopefully you're working with a company that has the right culture that will support that for you as well. And what I encourage is that if you're already a leader, right, like 
what are you doing to either perpetuate the non-culture work culture of that mm. or that you're being supportive of that, right? Like mm-hmm. I I have the privilege of working with clients that are across the spectrum, the people who are hiring and who are the leaders and the people who are job seekers or people who are actually the workers who are expected. Right both need to match up, right? They need to match up. And if they don't, then that's where there's the friction. Yeah, right. Um, So I I worked at one of the big four and I think the culture there wasn't, didn't feel as supportive of work-life balance, but I did have a um, a woman partner and at four o'clock, she would actually come into our bullpen and say to us, I'm going to my kid's soccer game. And I remember when I was a staff at the time, I thought to myself, Okay, (laughs) good for you. But now that, you know, I'm a mom and obviously just even like years ago, I thought to myself like, oh, she's setting an example of this is what she prioritizes and this is what she needs to do. And she'll say, you know, I'll be back on the clock at at uh, 7 p.m. after they're in bed and I'll answer your emails then. But just don't expect anything from me till then. And I was like, that's a great way to set the expectations or the culture by doing that simple thing of just going to the bullpen and announcing, you know, that you have to, you have things you need to take care of in your personal life. That's right. That's and right. now I'm like, I think that was actually really intentional of her instead of just, you know, I agree. leaving. Mm, great, great woman. Great example. Great mentor for me also. She just, yeah, there are some people in your life where such a simple thing can leave such a big impact on on you and the rest of your life too. And and I and I think I agree. I, it was likely intentional that she was doing that and setting that example. And and again, as leaders, that's what I encourage: is like, what examples mm. are you setting? Are mm-hmm. is your team burnt out? Because frankly, if they're burnt out, and you're burnt out, that's on you as mm. the leader. Like that is on you. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing to change that? Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think parental burnout can happen for parents of all backgrounds, but specifically for Asian women, what do you think are some of the external narratives that we take on as Asian women? And what is it about us culturally that can add to us being on the fast track to burning out? And I only ask this question because I'm an Asian woman, you're an Asian woman, and we're on Asian <laughs> boss girls. So. I'm like, oh, Helen, how much time do you got? You got <laughs> Based on uh, your kids, uh, you got to be out for an art show. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Wow. So this, this yeah, this is big. This is big. Um, the very first thing is if you think about the identities that we have both culturally and the gender as right, so it's kind of the one-two punch of this intersectionality. Um, the norms and expectations that we have internalized, I like the very first thing that comes up for me is like, how was love modeled for us in our upbringing? For most of that, there is this like historical Asian value of sacrifice. Love language is sacrifice, especially mm-hmm. for the woman in the family. Mm-hmm. Martyrdom. Mm-hmm. If you love your kids, you will sacrifice everything, sacrifice your ambition, sacrifice your livelihood, your well-being, all of those things. And if you don't, guess what? You're you're selfish. You're, you know, not uh, a, a community, community member. You're mm-hmm. a bad woman, mom, partner, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So that is the very first thing that I always like to mine with my um, specifically Asian women of color clients is like, how was love modeled for you? Because I know that a common thread is around sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And how is that perpetuating for you? Is that the source of your guilt? 
is that I haven't sacrificed enough. I'm not being a martyr right now. Mm-hmm. Me wanting to focus, me wanting to spend time away from my kid because I do enjoy work. Oh, that makes me bad mom. And I feel guilty about it, right? So much of that is internal. It's And that that's where I like to start as a sacrifice mm-hmm. piece. Mm-hmm. There's all a lot of other things that we've internalized, right? About like, filial piety, um, how we communicate in Asian culture specifically, what Western culture would view as like passive aggressive. Oh, they didn't outright like tell me that this was their boundary, but they kind of like, oh, so, uh, such passive aggressiveness, like, right? But the reality is, is that culturally, that's not the norm of communication. Like you don't like bluntly say like, I need this from you and give it to me, right? Like that's that was frowned upon. Growing up, my parents told me, like, don't look me in the eye. Like, that's, like, don't be defiant, right? Mm, So there's so, mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. even just the nuances of communication and what's perceived here in the U.S. US and, like, Western lens versus our own cultural upbringing, there's some clashes there that we need to first recognize and then know, like, okay, and what relationship do I want to be with that? Like, do I want it? Do I choose to continue to sacrifice versus do I feel like I need to because if I don't, then I'm a bad whatever. Mm. That gives us agency. If, if you can just recognize and then you know out of choice, I'm choosing to do this or I'm choosing not to do this, that in itself feels really empowering for people. And then that that psychologically is alleviating for a lot of people as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just threw a whole bunch of stuff at you, but did they answer your question? Yeah. I mean, what are what do you think are some like tactical ways then for someone to address these personal challenges that might come up it's for particularly for, you know, Asian women that have this sort of like looming I don't know if it's even looming, it's just like naturally this has been a part of innately who we are because that's how we've been raised, you yeah. know. Like are yeah. there any what are some tactical um what are some tactical ways that you've been able to help people in this in this uh, in this way? <laughs> so the very first thing is that recognition, right? And maybe that takes some reflection to say how was love modeled for me, um, in whatever my upbringing was, as a parent, um, and a- as a child. And then if you can know that, then then the second is to recognize that for yourself. Like, am I doing that for my kids? Do I feel resentful or guilty Mm. because I feel like I need to do that with my kids? Because if you can at least name it and recognize it, that is like half the battle. I always say like recognizing it truly is half the battle because most people just operate without even recognizing or thinking or stopping and pausing to be like, hold on, like, why am I doing this? And do I want to even continue doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. get off that autopilot, recognize Am I feeling like I'm a martyr? Am I feeling resentful or guilty because I feel like I need to be a martyr? And do I want to continue? Mm. Once you can recognize, then the second is then to be able to do it like at a rational level, like because emotionally we are still racked with guilt, but at a rational level or a logical level, we can say, um, hold on, does this make sense? Uh, I just did some mental gymnastics of like, I need to work 80 hours a week at work and I'm supposed to make my kid's soccer team, you know, practice and do, like, oh, like just take a step back. Like, do I even have that many hours in the week? Right. So just to be able to rationalize, um, one of my best ways to say is like, would you, how would you advise your mentee or your best friend? Mm. in this exact same situation. Mm-hmm. If you can like separate it from yourself, it's so much easier. Then you activate that part of your brain where you're like, 
oh, I know exactly what I would tell my best friend. I'd be like, stop, you know, stop like self-flagellating yourself. Like literally like you're doing great. Mm. You're doing fine. You're, you're right. So that's, that's a tactical thing is like, how would you advise your mentee or your best friend? And then I think what you all are doing, right? Like creating this community of Asian women, the social support mm. is so critical for burnout prevention. Like knowing I'm not alone. I have other people I can turn to for not only just advice, but sometimes just to have a, a lend a, an ear, right? Like you just need someone to hear you out and be like, yeah, cry. Cause I'm going to cry yeah. with you. Right. Like, so having that social support is so critical. And it's it's usually, there's two things. Number one cause of burnout often is perfectionism. Mm. People's internal, perfect, like, yep. it's got to be this way. Yep. <laughs> right? I've got to make me. the scrapbook. Right, right, yes. right, right. <laughs> That's right. So always, like, just being able to say, like, what's good enough? Yeah. What do I think needs to be perfect in any aspect of my life, in relationships? This is what a perfect you know, wife and and partner is supposed to look like. This is what a perfect mom is supposed to look like. This is what a perfect podcaster is supposed to look like yeah. and, a, and a worker is supposed to... And then what is good enough? Because mm-hmm. we can't put 100% into everything. It, it just strategically is not smart, mm-hmm. frankly, to put all that effort in there. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, the second predictor of burnout is people who cannot ask for help. Mm-hmm. And so that's where that social network not only helps, but also, yeah, ask for help. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, two very good takeaways here. And I know you talk about burnout very often. So thank you for sort of summarizing or narrowing it down to these two methods that people can sort of take away from this too. For sure. Ugh, I am, yeah, definitely fall into the category of being a perfectionist, but I think I've gotten better <laughs> asking for help. And I think that is so necessary. Good. And it also helps when, yeah, for sure, you have your your community and your support system so that you know that you're not alone and you know you're not crazy. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know you're not crazy yes. in your own mind because a lot of people are going through, you know, the things that you're going through too, if you were to share it. Yeah. That's right. And can I just say they usually come hand in hand because in your mind, a perfect mom wouldn't have to ask for help, right. for example. Yeah. Right? So... I love that you're saying you're getting better at asking for help because that that tells me that you're also getting better at realizing what perfection is and and isn't in your life. Yeah. Yeah. What have you found to be the most successful way to set boundaries with your team, right? So the fact that you are going to your kids' soccer games and making the art show, how are you communicating this to your team without compromising on being a good teammate because they might be used to a certain standard of work, right? Or certain hours. But if you're yeah. asking for permission, I guess, to to have t- certain time for yourself, how can you be a good teammate without compromising being a good teammate and still doing the things that you want for yourself personally? Yeah, I got to say, I think that question itself is kind of loaded, right? Because there's this expectation that being a good teammate means that you're available at all times. And so how do you still be a good teammate if you're setting boundaries? That So I think the very first thing is always just having open transparency and communication. I do that with all my clients. The very first conversation I have with them is let's design our partnership. How do we want to be with each other? What do you need from me? What do I need from you? Knowing that this agreement is going to change throughout the relationship. And in there, we talk about like, what do you need from me? 
I need you to be available at all times. <laughs> okay, well, what I need is I can't do that, right? So mm-hmm. what does that compromise look like? Mm-hmm. But if you can set the tone right in the beginning with whomever working relationship you have, frankly, any personal relationships too, then that's a beautiful way to be like, hey, I already know that B really values being there for key moments for her kids. So it's not a surprise. It's kind of a no-brainer when she says, I'm so sorry. And I had to do that for today. Mm-hmm. It's like I had to move around some clients because I was like, I got to make my kids art show. And that's just that like that's a value of mine. And it's not a surprise for them because they're like, yep, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. that's we know that that's a value of yours. Now, does that mean I'm not inaccessible? Does that mean I'm a bad teammate? No, because they know that another value of mine is I'm open. I have an open door policy. Always ask me questions. I prefer you ask me questions than not. So they know that they can always slack me. I'm available. Even if it's off work hours, they can slack me. And that's for me, right? For you, that may be like, no, if I'm off work hours, don't slack me or don't message me. But for me, it's like, yeah, I'm open to that because because that's the, the trade-off I'm willing to do and want to do mm-hmm. to be available for you all. But that means that at 3.30, I'm going to go to my daughter's art show, Yeah, right, as an example. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're sharing that because I think a lot of new moms, especially going back into the workplace, it's like they don't – it's it's hard to know how to set boundaries. But when you hear it from someone who's successfully done it in their own lives like you have with your life – then that gives you that gives them the power it empowers them to feel like it's okay for them to also ask for or to not yes. just ask but like to state their boundaries and say this is what matters to me you know yeah. and i think that's a big part of um a lot of this sharing these stories so that people who are listening in they do feel empowered to take sort of control of of their lives and make sure that they're putting forth their own values in life too yeah that's right Well, is there anything else? I know we're coming up on time. We gotta make the art show. Now I wanna see photos of this I, art I show. I gotta make the art show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? I would say the key takeaways that I would love for your listeners to take away is one, you're not alone. And I know that that's a message that you always like to hammer home to is like, you're really not alone. Can I fully like validate for you that you're not alone? There's no one out there that's the perfect whatever. My my four-year-old always says, mommy, nothing's perfect. When I say like, ooh, perfect. Yeah. She'll be like, mommy, nothing's perfect. I'm like, ah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Why did um, I hear that when I was four years old? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's the first. And then the second is, you know, values. Like if you know your values, if you know the order of your values, like, please, that's when you know things feel good and aligned for you. And whenever mm-hmm. you feel icky, it's because you're not aligned with your values. Not only do I know my personal values that I revisit and our family values that we do every January one, my husband and I, and I do our own values. We know mm-hmm. each other's values so that we can hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. I know my husband's number one value is freedom and what that means mm-hmm. for him and mm-hmm. how I can support him in that. So mm-hmm. knowing your values, um, will really help in your life, but especially as a parent and how you want to parent your kids. For sure. And what's your number one value? My, this is so interesting. We did this separately 
uh, we do this all the time. We did this separately, and both of our values are freedom. Mm. But the way he describes freedom is different than the way that I describe freedom. Can you quickly, so, quickly describe that for us? Because I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. The way that I describe freedom is I want freedom from others' expectations. So I don't want to internalize what I think others' expectations of is and freedom to be able to choose how I direct my time. Mm. His choice of freedom. And that means that I do do less, a little bit less work for an art show or, you know, a mm-hmm. soccer game. My husband, he actually works a ton. He's in venture. He's a venture partner. And his, his value of freedom is I want to be free financially so that I can feel like I'm taking care of my family, mm-hmm. but also that it feel, makes me feel free, like mentally. Yeah. And so the way that we live it is a little bit different. Right. But here's a great example of how our values um, came up recently. We've been looking for, we've been talking about, do we want to move? Do we want to buy a, a house somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And the Bay Area, I mean, same for you, right? But the Bay Area real estate market is just bananas. It's like, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so each time we would look, we're like, well, our mortgage would then jump tremendously. Like, are we willing to do that? Guess what? Our value of freedom is telling us no. Mm -hmm. We do not want to be tied to a mortgage. Now, could we afford it? Yeah, but would I mentally feel free? Like, oh, I got to work. Right. I can't do that our show because I've got to yeah. earn that extra, you know, whatever. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. And so this is where a real life example of how our value of freedom helped us decide, like, no, having that backyard is not as important to us. Yeah, it would be nice, but not in this moment. Yeah. Oh, thank That's you. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. How can our listeners connect with you if they would like to? Yeah, I highly encourage you to uh, connect with me. Um, the best way, honestly, is my website, B-E-A-K-I-M-B-K-I-M.com. There you can also contact me directly, but also um, you get monthly newsletters if you want to sign up for monthly newsletters. I write about managing stress, what what is burnout. Um, in June, I'm going to talk about why do I feel constantly the need to be productive mm. And is that, when does that become harmful and punishing? And when is that something that serves me? So um, please feel free. I'd I'd love to be connected. I need to be a part of that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for all of you out there, thank you so much for tuning in today. And thank you so much, B, for being on this podcast and sharing all of your knowledge. Appreciate you so, so much. I feel like we could talk Mm, for hours and hours. So for all of you out there, again, you can contact B at bkim.com and also check out the latest post on Instagram at Asian Boss Girl for this episode. And as you know, by now, we have shows out every Tuesday and our main show on Thursday. For me and my little bubs, (laughs) bye for now. Bye-bye.